and welcome to this week's edition of Reading Beijing, where we talk about the political and strategic implications of China's role in the Middle East and the wider world. I'm Bill Figueroa, your very own Bill in the China Shop, and today I'll be talking about the news that Iran and Saudi Arabia have both joined the BRICS organization alongside several other regionally significant countries, as well as the impact of Chinese diplomacy on the war in Yemen. It's just me, so at the end I'll give you some of my reactions and thoughts on these issues, as well as my hot take on China's overall regional strategy. So without further ado or pointless rambling, let's begin. China's diplomacy in the Middle East was decidedly a mixed bag this week, as official news that Iran would join the BRICS organization and had signed a major development project with a Chinese firm was partly overshadowed by ominous signs emerging from Yemen. Despite the, quote, tidal wave of peace that was supposed to be sweeping the region as a result of China's mediation between Iran and Saudi Arabia, conflict in Yemen is looking increasingly likely, as peace talks that began in the aftermath of the Beijing Agreement recently collapsed. What can we say about the success of Chinese diplomacy in the region in light of some of these developments? So to start with, on the more positive side of things, on August 25th, China officially announced that Iran would be joining the BRICS organization, alongside Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Iranian officials said that Iran's joining the organization was, quote, a historic step and a strategic victory for Iran's foreign policy. Xi Jinping also met with President Ibrahim Raisi in Johannesburg to formalize the occasion, saying, quote, I am very glad that the joint efforts of China, Iran, and Saudi Arabia have achieved reconciliation, promoting security and stability in the Middle East. Raisi praised China's various global initiatives, saying that, quote, the expansion of BRICS shows that unilateralism is on the decline. Iran is unswervingly determined to deepen the comprehensive strategic partnership between Iran and China and is willing to work together with China to further intensify this comprehensive strategic cooperation. The significance of Iran and five other regionally important countries joining BRICS is difficult to assess at this stage. BRICS plays an important role in setting the agenda of the world financial system by articulating the demands of the largest developing economies, and adding more significant oil exporting countries to the BRICS roster will only allow it to do so more effectively. It also opposes the dominance of the dollar in the international currency system and supports trading in local currencies, a change which would clearly benefit Iran when it comes to U.S. sanctions being wielded against it. But in practice, like the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, it remains more of a platform for coordination and rhetoric than it does a policy-setting organization, and its rhetoric in support of trading in local currencies has often fallen short of the practice and policies of many of its members. Time will tell whether Iran joining BRICS brings any tangible benefits to either Iran or the organization. The Chinese media, of course, did not miss the opportunity to promote tourism to Iran, uh, with features on uh, places like the Golestan Palace, uh, part of a larger effort to promote Chinese tourism in the Middle East, as we've been following for the last couple of weeks now. Additionally, Iran announced that uh, a contract worth $2.7 billion had been awarded to an unnamed, although almost certainly private, non-government-owned Chinese company for the development of the Imam Khomeini International Airport. Uh, IKA. This is the latest in a series of investments that China has made in the transportation infrastructure of the Middle East, and undoubtedly will only help bolster the flow of tourists between China and the region in years to come. 
Notably, the deal will not be paid for in uh, cash, but in a bartered oil deal, likely in a bid to avoid U.S. sanctions. Turning now to China's role in the war in Yemen, the China-brokered deal to normalize relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia has been hailed as setting off a wave of reconciliations in the Middle East recently, uh, particularly following the rehabilitation of Syria's uh, Bashar al-Assad, and also following hints of normalization between Iran and Egypt and between Saudi Arabia and Israel. But can it pave the way for a durable peace in Yemen? The Gulf nation has been entangled in a deadly military conflict between Saudi Arabia and the Iranian-backed Houthis, uh, formerly known as the supporters of God, Ansar Allah, uh, who oppose the Saudi-backed government of Yemen, drawing on a mix of Shia revivalism, Islamist anti-imperialism, and serious political and economic grievances against the Yemeni state. This war has inflicted immense costs upon Saudi Arabia, both in terms of finances uh, and human lives, especially in Yemen, claiming over 350,000 casualties since uh, 2015 and precipitating a severe humanitarian crisis uh, in the Gulf nation. Although a ceasefire was eventually signed in 2022, the specter of renewed violence looms beneath the surface, and recent events have made it increasingly likely that another round of fighting is coming. In this context, have China's efforts to play peacemaker borne fruit? This fundamentally boils down to two questions, really. To what extent did China's influence shape the agreement, and how might the agreement influence the prospect of peace in Yemen? While China played a pivotal role in uh, facilitating the normalization agreement, it's apparent that the foundations for this diplomatic step were laid by the involved states themselves, with their motives extending beyond the view of Beijing. Saudi Arabia's interest in negotiating with Iran can be attributed in part to the escalating costs of the prolonged war and the, and the dearth of tangible gains that they've gotten from it. The conflict has been severely straining Saudi Arabia's coffers, uh, imperiling the ambitious Vision 2030 project initiated by Mohammed bin Salman, which is precisely why he signed the ceasefire in 2022 to begin with. After seven years of relentless combat, the Houthi movement seems entrenched, not weakened. The pivotal moment of Saudi Arabia's inclination towards negotiations occurred when a major attack temporarily disrupted nearly half of the nation's oil production. This event starkly exposed the shortcomings of Saudi strategy and the limitations of U.S. countermeasures against such drone-based attacks. In short, it appears that Saudi Arabia has come to realize that it was losing the battle and sought an exit strategy before China's involvement. While China's role was instrumental in facilitating dialogue between the conflicting parties in Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia, it's reasonable to assume that Saudi Arabia would have eventually sought to reduce its military involvement regardless, even in the absence of external pressure. While the United Nations viewed the agreement as a potential harbinger of peace, nobody seems to have asked the Houthis, who were not at all involved in the negotiations between Iran and Saudi Arabia in Beijing. A Houthi spokesperson emphasized that the solution to Yemen's issues should come from negotiations between Yemen and Saudi Arabia, not Tehran and Saudi Arabia. Subsequent negotiations, initiated shortly after the agreement's announcement, faltered as the Houthis declined to engage with the Saudi-appointed government. The Houthis labeled this uh, the government of mercenaries uh, of the Saudi coalition, refusing even the entreaties of both the United States and China. Although a fragile peace has been maintained to some extent, 
ominous signals of potential violence resurfacing still linger. The Yemeni government has cautioned about the potential Houthi military escalation, while the Houthis have hinted at reigniting civil unrest over ongoing issues, uh, most notably unpaid civil servant salaries. So, in essence, the core issues that could reignite the conflict in Yemen remain largely impervious to China's influence. China is no more able to untie the knot of political and economic grievances in Yemen than the United States was able to do in Iraq or Afghanistan. These deep-seated challenges are intricately woven into the fabric of Yemen and Saudi Arabia, surpassing the scope of external mediation. The Houthis' grievances, both political and economic, which initially fueled this conflict, have gone largely unaddressed. After a prolonged war of attrition against a well-armed, well-funded adversary, why would the Houthis relinquish their position and settle for anything less than their original political and economic demands? So, while Chinese diplomacy at the moment is, as I said, a mixed bag in terms of achieving the goal of reducing conflict in the Middle East, it does seem to have done a good job of what I think its underlying goal actually is, uh, which was to facilitate China's continued development of good political and economic relations with all the countries in the Middle East. In particular, after the dust-up surrounding Xi Jinping's visit to Saudi Arabia last year, they really wanted to mediate between Saudi Arabia and Iran so they could continue to deepen their relationship with Iran without upsetting either side, or without risking uh, their investments becoming damaged by the conflict between the two. And so far, I think they've been able to more easily deepen their relationship with Iran after the deal, uh, which is the one country in the region that they've noticeably lagged behind in terms of building economic ties with, uh, mostly due to the sanctions. So from China's perspective, at least, I think Chinese diplomacy in the region is working just fine. This concludes uh, today's edition of Reading Beijing, where we talked about the political and strategic implications of China's role in the Middle East and the wider world. Reading Beijing is part of the Pursue Media Minutes podcast series, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Pursue Media Minutes offers uh, podcasts of selected Pursue Media analyses on Iran, China, and the MENA region. Pursue Media itself provides media research, open source intelligence, analysis, AI-driven analytics, and strategic communications consultancy. You can find out more about the services Pursue Media offers by checking out their website, pursuemedia.com, or finding them on LinkedIn or Twitter under at Pursue Media. Until next time, my name is Bill Figueroa, you are Bill in the China Shop, and this has been Reading Beijing. Reading Beijing.